welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. Happy Beltane, Kristen and listeners. (laughs) Happy Beltane, Beltane blessings to you and all of our listeners. Happy May Day. So obviously we're talking spring and Beltane today. Yeah, how could we not? Yeah, exactly. And how are you honoring this turn of the wheel? Gardening, of course. Mm. We're obviously recording a few weeks early here, listeners, but by the time May Day rolls around, I'll be back in the Azores with my garden and goats. I really just love spending time with my animals and being in the garden on Sabbath days. And I think we'll have just had a new moon. So with the moon waxing again, I'll be focusing on starting, um, you know, some more above ground vegetables and flowers because we're officially in flower magic season. Yes. What about you? What does a city witch have planned for May Day? So I will actually be at the Tamed Wild Beltane Retreat in North Carolina, which I'm really excited about uh, speaking, you know, about magical plants, poems, and rituals. So if you're headed there too, I can't wait to connect over the threshold and magic of Beltane. Amazing. Last year on Beltane, we talked about hand fasting, the fey folk. I definitely talked about the garden. But this year, I've been thinking a lot about weather folklore, Mm. specifically the wind. The wind off the Atlantic Ocean is no joke where I live. And while we often talk about the gusty winds as an inconvenience, especially when it quite literally blows the clothes off the clothesline or I'm trying to record a podcast and the wind is whistling through the roof tiles. Uh, (laughs) However, there is something quite magical about an invisible force that can knock you off your feet. Plenty of my friends, both witches and muggle alike, talk about their love of the wind. They tell me that it's refreshing and purifying, like Mother Nature is sweeping the stagnant energy from our lives. So it feels fitting that the spring months are often quite windy, as if the earth is ridding itself of any lingering bits of winter. Even on the best days, it's a little too windy for wind chimes in the Azores, but historically, wind chimes appear in Chinese culture as an important element in feng shui. With some help from the wind, chimes were believed to rid the home of harmful spirits while attracting helpful ones. It was also said that when you hear the chimes ring, you knew fresh, vibrant energy was entering the home, and the stagnant energy was being pushed out. 
Today, it's not uncommon to see wind chimes in a modern witch's house or within their sacred space as a way to identify the energies at play. Love wind chimes. I know, I do too. People who work with elemental magic might also use the wind to raise energy before ritual or spell work. In the past, magical practitioners would collect the wind and sell it to sailors. One story I found said that the sailors would be given a rope with a series of knots. The sailors were to tie or untie the knots depending on if they wanted more or less wind while at sea. Mm. So I know that knots are nautical miles. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely watched A Perfect Storm over the weekend. (laughs) That movie is, yeah, whatever. But um, (laughs) I know that this practice dates from the 17th century. I went and looked it up when sailors measured the speed of their ships using a device called a common log. And this log Mm -hmm. was a rope with knots at regular intervals attached to a piece of wood. So I kind of wonder if these knots from the folklore might be related to these knots of nautical miles but you know any sailors in our audience here let us know yeah definitely let us know and you know of course depending on which direction the wind blows that makes a difference because each direction carries a unique vibration Mm -hmm. i found this poem or spell from doreen valiente that says heed the north wind's mighty gale lock the door and trim the sail When the wind comes from the south, love will kiss you on the mouth. When the more wind blows from the west, departed spirits have no rest. When the wind blows from the east, expect the new and set the feast. I love this. I feel like I need to like write it out and pin it somewhere. I've never heard that. I know. It's beautiful. Yeah. I did some digging, um, and while this is not a definitive list, the north winds are said to be good for banishing or eliminating things. North winds are associated with death, change, transformation, but also can help when it comes to organizing and getting our finances in order. It's associated with the late nighttime hours, mystery, treasure, winter, and the Greek god Boreas. The east winds, though, are a bit more favorable. They are associated with intellect, springtime, but also autumn, new beginnings, growing things, intuition, inspiration, and sacred breath. If using in spell work, the east winds are, you know, most potent at dawn. They can help guide or introduce us to our true path, and they're also associated with the Greek god Eurus. Winds coming from the west are ruled by Zephyrus. Zephyrus controls the winds that carry blessings of love and fertility. Also healing, emotional maturity, companionship, dreams, and inner reflection. The west winds are said to help us understand the gift, but also the challenges of duality, and perhaps can help unite the seemingly conflicting pieces that make up our soul. So that just leaves the winds blowing in from the south. Southern winds are aligned with the element of fire. They speak to our passion, sexuality, strength, and ambition. Although they may be more volatile compared to the others, southern winds are also purifying and protective. 
Thanks to their association with fire, they can be utilized for banishing or shielding ourselves from unfavorable reactions, um, you know, like jealousy or manipulation. Winds blowing in from the south are associated with the Greek god Notus, a god of summer, but also fog and summer storms. This is beautiful. I know. I love all of this. And, and you know, working with elements is nothing new. And wind is closely tied to the element of air. But I was also so curious, like, what makes the wind so magical? I did some digging and found this interesting passage that talks about feather divination and how when faced with a crossroad, either literal or metaphorical, people would often drop a feather and whichever direction the feather blew was the direction they would go. This is because a feather was really light and therefore susceptible to the wind and other invisible energetic currents that perhaps were sent by the gods. Mm. You know, someone once told me that if I noticed feathers on the sidewalk, it was a sign that I was walking the right path. So I wonder if that practice is derived from this myth. Mm, I really like that. You know, there's even an old tiny phrase that I love, which says, I shall go where the feather blows, you know, but perhaps it should really say I go, you know, where the wind blows. Mm. Um, So if we see this concept, you know, feather divination mentioned in fairy tales and folklore, you know, keep in mind, it's not all make believe. It's actually based in reality. Catching the wind with the feathers that you just cast, Kristen, I'd like to turn to the magic of birds. If you're on my newsletter list, you know that this is something that I've been thinking a lot about, especially how birds speak in synchronicity. Synchronicity, birds, wings, and weather truly do feel like the magic of spring, The birds are returning, their songs fill the crisp morning, and their nests can be seen on the edges of buildings, trees, and on fire escapes here in the city. And while there is this resurgence of life, I can feel the spirit world closer. While we may think of Samhain and the winter solstice as a time of the thinning veil, these cross-quarter and sacred days of spring are blooming with messages from the other side. And I believe that birds are some of these messengers. Of course, symbolism of birds is as varied as birds themselves. But the ones that I've been seeing lately have been turkey vulture, mourning dove, robin, and starling. So first, let's visit with turkey vulture. This spring, turkey vulture made herself known in a way that I have not noticed before. In the presence of spring, grief too reigns supreme and the underworld comes close. In the messages of blossoms, blooms, and seeds, sometimes we can forget the death aspect of the death and rebirth cycle. Turkey vulture and vulture reminds us of the sacred process. From the poet who goes by the crypto-naturalist, I love this poem, vultures are holy creatures, tending the dead, bowing low, bared head, whisper to cold flesh, your old name is not your king. I rename you. 
everything. And from Kim Kranz, vulture, guardian, and purifier, essential for rebalance. The vulture is perhaps the most misunderstood creature of all. This intriguing bird balances our ecosystem and prevents the spread of disease. It does the dirty work that no one else wants to do and cleans up our messes. The vulture appears when there's a situation that needs to be purified or brought back into balance. Remember, the vulture is greatly undervalued. What you thought was a mistake or tragedy is a blessing in disguise. Quote. I love all those. Yeah, I, I I was reading it earlier today from the Animal Spirit deck, and I was just like, this, this is a poem. Mm-hmm, it is. When turkey vultures flew over our circle for the month at Robin Rose Bennett's house, Robin called out their vigilance medicine. To me, vultures are watchful. They're slow, they wait, and they understand timing. They may mourn, but only in the way of deep understanding. They are fed from the cycles of life and death and do not end lives, but rather alchemize what has already passed and gone. My sister and I have been speaking a lot about turkey vultures together, and in her research, she discovered that the antibacterial properties of their of their saliva and their feathers. So not only do turkey vultures clean up what is decaying, but they may literally clean the air when they take flight. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Next, the morning dove. <laughs> so for the longest time, I believed that morning doves were actually spelled morning, like the break of day, only to learn last month that they're actually morning doves, like as in grieving. So the morning dove is named for its haunting and sad cooing sound. Its call is sometimes mistaken for the call of an owl. When the morning dove flies, its wings make a whistling sound. From Michigan to Arizona to Brooklyn, I have been hearing tales of these doves visiting. My sister and I saw a morning dove who had fallen from their nest and died on the way to our grandpa's funeral a few weeks ago, and so Cody and I built a little makeshift coffin of some oak bark and buried it next to the datura. In this season of rebirth and death, the morning dove seems to be appearing to remind us of the importance of grieving, its call an elegy. In my reading, I found a tale about the morning dove from indigenous folklore, There is a Huron Wyandotte legend that tells of a young woman who used to care for the morning dove, who came to love her a great deal. One day, the woman became sick and died, and as her spirit traveled across the land to the entrance of the underworld, the doves followed her and tried to gain entrance to the underworld alongside her. Sky Woman, the deity who guards the door, refused them entry, eventually creating smoke to blind them and take the maiden spirit away without their knowledge. The smoke stained their feathers gray, and they have been in mourning for her loss ever since. The morning dove is also Michigan's bird of peace, which feels close to my heart. And now to Robin. The robin is a classic spring bird where I come from. Its return seems to coincide with nature herself, arriving exactly when the earth begins to soften again. In Norse mythology, the robin is known as a protector from storms and lightning, and in Celtic mythology, the robin is associated with the oak king of summer. 
In other folk tales, Robin is harbinger of death, tapping in a window to let you know of someone's passing. There is the famous saying, when Robins appear, loved ones are near. And this alludes to the belief that the Robin is a messenger. When Robins are seen, some people take comfort that loved ones are at peace and many believe that lost loved ones are visiting them. There's even a tale in Christianity about the Robin where it plucks a thorn from Christ's crown and ends up piercing its breast, which is why it has red feathers. No matter your background or association with Robin, one thing is clear. Their presence denotes that magic is afoot, and you must listen to what Robin has to say. And last, the starling has been present lately. I actually saw one when I was in the park right before recording this episode, mm-hmm. which seemed fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and while some consider this bird a pest or invasive, I don't think that that lessens its lessons, so to speak. A bit of history from European starling, the Bard's Bird in the New York Times. The first starlings were actually deliberately introduced to the U.S. around 1890. This was the thinking of the chairman of the American Acclimatization Society, who thought that any bird worthy of inclusion in Shakespeare's work deserved a place in North America. And so the society released about 60 birds in Central Park. Starlings are briefly mentioned in Henry IV, Part 1, in Act 1, Scene 3, where they are fantasizing about teaching a starling to say Mortimer, one of the king's enemies. Quote, Nay, I'll have a starling shall be taught to speak nothing but Mortimer and give it to him to keep his anger still in motion. The European starling population from these 60 is now estimated at 200 million and inhabits oh. the contiguous U.S., a good part of Canada and most of Mexico. What is impressive to me about starlings, then, is their resiliency and their ability to move in a group. Outside my grandpa's house, over the fields, Cody and I stood watching their nightly murmurations and flight. This is what the New York Times has called a black sun. Studies have found that each starling responds to six or seven of its nearest neighbors, a number that seems to optimize the balance between the cohesion of the group and the effort of the individual. Soren Salkir wrote in the article, The Transfixing Beauty of Starlings, quote, When starlings move as a single unified organism and assert themselves against the sky, they create a strong visual expression, like that of a calligraphic brush stroke. Lines and shapes emerge within the swarm, bringing to life physical abstractions and calling to mind the patterns formed by interfering waves. The graphic and organic shapes of the starling murmurations range from meditative to highly dramatic as they perform a breathtaking ballet, one with life and death consequences. At times, the flock seems to possess the cohesive power of superfluids, changing shape in an endless flux, end quote. Starlings, to me, are a reminder in spring that we are all part of the same dance. It reminds me to look on my neighbors with kindness and support, no matter which difficult move or passage they may be experiencing. Starlings remind me of resiliency and encourage me towards joy, even at dusk, when the sun is setting and night is upon us. So then, as witches, how do we work with birds? 
There are many ways, but for me, this is a magic of listening and of paying attention. Our friends at Missing Witches have some beautiful bird-like inspired meditations that you can check out. And feather magic or wind magic, like Kristen mentioned, are also beautiful practices. In my own practice, birds ask me, when you begin to keep your eyes and ears open to the language of birds, what might you hear or see? Are there feathers lining your way? Is there a lesson about rebirth and death? Perhaps you'll see a reminder that we are all one, birds of a feather. In the beautiful book, When Women Were Birds by Terry Tempest Williams, that I highly recommend um, that and her book, Refuge, Williams wrote, Now, in a shift of light, the shadows of birds are more pronounced on the gallery's white wall. The shadow of birds is speaking to me. Each shadow doubles the velocity, ferocity of forms. The shadow, my shadow, now merges with theirs. Dissension, ascension. The velocity of wings creates the whisper to awaken. I want to feel both the beauty and the pain of the age we are living in. I want to survive my life without becoming numb. I want to speak and comprehend words of wounding without having these words become the landscape where I dwell. I want to possess a light touch that can elevate darkness to the realm of stars. That's beautiful. I think that's all the time we have for today. But if birds and wind magic show up in your practice, we'd love to hear about it. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at K8Ballou and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode, which is inspired by you, our amazing listeners. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be or something better. Until next time. <laughs>